Hello and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? You know, it's going pretty well here, John. You know, it's the bye week. I'm ready to, you know, relax a little bit, re-energize, and, and get ready for what looks to be a pretty exciting end of the season for Penn State. More exciting than, than I know I thought it would be for, for the Mini Lions. Yeah, we sort of uh, pointed at that three-game stretch that they went through, and it's like, well, if they come out of that two and one, like that's fantastic, and even one and two is pretty acceptable. And now we're looking at a position where they're still undefeated, uh, and I don't think either of us saw this coming. Even I'll be honest, going into Iowa, even as good as they were playing, as well as they were playing, I should say, I don't, th- I didn't think they were going to come out three and zero. Uh, but to come out 3-0 is a massive win for Penn State. We'll see what they can turn it into. Of course, that last game was against Michigan State, and the major fallout from that, because it will impact the next game, is the suspension of Antonio Shelton. So can you po- provide a little bit of insight uh, with that, Josh, considering obviously you, you had the chance to speak to James Franklin yesterday? Sure. Well, um, I, I was at practice yesterday. Uh, um, it was about 7 p.m. at night, um, and – yeah, basically, James Franklin opened with a statement that uh, not a lot of us were expecting, um, where he said that he decided to suspend Antonio Shelton for a single game. That means Antonio Shelton will not play against Minnesota on November 9th. And the main reason, obviously, was because he spit at the Michigan State Center midway through the fourth quarter, got an unsportsmanlike conduct, got an ejection, and the Big Ten also issued a public reprimand um, that that spelled out the fact that he spit on the player and said that it supported Penn State's decision. So, you know, the key takeaway from this, too, is that uh, James Franklin kind of did this on his own. The Big Ten didn't eject him, or the, the Big Ten wasn't going to suspend him. And because it was an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, not targeting, he would have been available to play, um, you know, against Minnesota. But um, James Franklin was about as upset as I've ever seen him after after a win well easily the most upset I've ever seen him after a win um you know uh in in East Lansing uh, after three unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in the final quarter he said it's something he would address with the team um you know that day and and Sunday and you know it looks like he did that so I know a lot of Penn State fans were, were steaming maybe even more than James Franklin was so I mean you got to applaud the decision um, you know, there's there's just no place in the game for that. And I, I think James Franklin, you know, did what he needed to do uh, in yeah. this regard. I, I'm, I'm sort of curious, you know, uh, I, I think it's a it's a good call suspending him for a game. But, you know, the, there's a curiosity part of this that I don't think we're ever going to find out. I wonder what uh, was said to Antonio Shelton to sort of spur that uh, sort of that visceral reaction, because that's not a usual reaction for a human to have uh, to something someone says. So I sort of wonder what was said to him that sort of uh, caused that. It seems to me that that Antonio is a is a pretty bright guy, uh, and this seems pretty out of character for him from everything we've seen from him every time he's spoken to the media. Yeah, uh, so very I, charismatic, very eloquent. Um, so, so yeah, you know, Antonio is definitely not the player that I would have thought, you know, would have been on the end of this. You know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, like you said, something is said, but, I mean, it's still Yeah, absolutely. It, it's absolutely. something that – you know, Shelton apologized for after the game. And, you know, that was de- definitely a step in the right direction. It was just kind of, you know, too little, too late to make amends at that point, um, you know, without some sort of punishment. If anything, if, you know, James Franklin was going to do this, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, he even waited until, until Tuesday. But it certainly looked like the Big Ten Conference was in on it because um, it definitely was not just a coincidence that 
the Big Ten issued their public reprimand like mere minutes after James Franklin made his announcement. You know, things don't happen that that well together. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. It'll be interesting to see how that impacts uh, Penn State against Minnesota. We'll get more into that next week well, when we well, – we, get... we can't talk about how it's going to – let me just break that <laughs> a little bit. People deserve to know John Sauber. And, and because Franklin said himself yesterday, you know, we, we asked him a little bit about uh, P.J. Mustaford, you know, the, the young sophomore defensive tackle who's, who's actually been like almost three times as productive as Antonio Shelton. Um, so he is definitely going to see more time as a result. Um, it's funny, uh, Antonio Shelton has, has started every single game this year. You know, he has eight starts to his name. Mustafer does not. But in the last game, Mustafer, uh, and this is according to the blog, Roar Lions Roar, which great blog for snap counts. Um, they have P.J. Mustafer with 35 snaps and Antonio Shelton with 30 snaps. So Franklin said he envisions P.J. Mustafer and, and Fred Hansard, the other backup, you know, seeing more time on the field as a result of this. But, I mean, hey, P.J. is a heck of a player. He, he might even be better than, than Antonio Shelton. Um, you know, it's just can he play more of a sustained role? Can he, you know, be a little bit longer? So we can get to that more next week. But, hey, you know, I needed to blab at least a little bit about what his, what his suspension means for the Nittany Lions. You know, the thing that I think they're going to miss the most is his leadership. Um, you know, he is a leader. I, I don't know if he'll travel with the team. James Franklin did not make that clear. I, I kind of assumed he wouldn't if you're trying to punish him. But, yeah, you know, it's going to be an interesting dynamic for sure, uh, a little bit more against Minnesota now. Yeah, I actually, I can uh, I'll be a little short and sweet with this one. I don't think it has too big of an impact just because I believe in P.J. Mustafer so much. I believe in the talent. Like you said, it is a matter of getting him out there for enough snaps and him being able to sustain that for an entire game. Uh, and but I mean this is a kid that was a wrestler in high school I believe he was a state champ in Maryland too at heavyweight so I mean he's he's got endurance he's got cardio so if he can sustain that that type of uh, game uh, was it about 10 days from now uh, recording on Wednesday of course October 30th uh, you know I think this could be a breakout for PJ Mustford maybe maybe you know he gets a, an increased rule moving forward obviously gets a ton of playing time as it is um, but let's let's sort of uh, look at that Michigan State game as a whole a little bit here. Uh, I think there are a few notable things that I took away. The main thing, it's always going to be the main thing with this podcast because it's going to be the main thing with Penn State football until uh, he's no longer the quarterback. Talk to me about Sean Clifford, yeah, John. That's right. And uh, I was really, really impressed. Uh, I, of course, was watching from afar. I didn't have the luxury of being at the game like you, but it also afforded me – you know, the chance to rewind a little bit, watch some throws over again if I wanted to. And, you know, he was he was really impressive. He was calm and cool under pressure. He picked apart Michigan State early. Uh, the second half, it wavered a little bit, but the weather was so brutally bad by that point. The field was so bad that, you know, the, the footing was tough. Uh, the, it, it was tough for him to get his footing on throws. So, you know, he was sliding a little bit when he was making passes. I'm not really concerned about, about that. Uh, but the first half, I was, I was really impressed. He, yeah, he, he definitely blew me away in the first half. He was, he was nearly perfect. And I mean, Michigan state, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. They, they're essentially like the exact opposite of, of Penn state. I mean, they came into this season and, and I think I mentioned this last week, people, people were saying this defense, which returned about eight starters was going to be the best since, since the Rose bowl year from like six years ago, if not better. I mean, you had all this firepower coming back. The only question was, you know, hey, can the offense do anything? And they actually tried to pick up the pace this year, up the tempo, 
And that's just been a colossal disaster because by doing that, the offense is, is worse than last year. And now they're just on the field for less time. And the defense is being asked to do more and just crumbled under the pressure. So, so yeah, John, I mean, it's, it, it's been an interesting season for sure for Sparty, but Sean Clifford, the way he delivered in the first half, I mean, it was, it was incredible. And, and the important thing with Clifford too, I mean, I think we saw his biggest jump of the year. I mean, no doubt, bar none, we cannot debate this. His biggest, uh, you know, progression came after the bye week last, uh, earlier this season. Um, and he talked about just how seriously he took that, looking at, you know, every single pass, trying to group them. Hey, the ones he rolled out to the right, you know, what did he do there? What about the ones he rolled out to the left? The, the, the deep passes, the short passes, the intermediate passes. He broke them down in every which way possible. And, you know, he was able to kind of see some of his, uh, uh, you know, what he was doing a lot of. You know, he saw that his footwork was, was a bit of a mess. Sometimes it was too wide, sometimes too narrow. So, you know, he was able to pinpoint that, outline it, and make the correction. And, and really, well, that, that came right before the Maryland game, correct? That was their yep. game coming out of the bye. I mean, to date, their they're, they're most full game of the season. So um, if you thought Sean Clifford has looked good so far – I only expect more improvement, especially after this fight. It's something he takes very seriously, something we've seen pay a lot of dividends in the past. And, and yeah, uh, the second half was not pretty. He did mention that his interception was the worst throw he's ever had in his career. He, he said it was worse than anything he's ever done in peewee. So, I mean, he's a guy who learns from his mistakes. That's what makes him so good. And, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm really excited to see how he progresses the rest of the year because he is not done growing by a long shot. Yeah, and my other biggest takeaway in a game that's not going to have many just because of the, the weather was so awful uh, throughout uh, was that, you know, we called for Ricky Ronnie to make adjustments from how he attacks and how Penn State has attacked this Michigan State defense the last two years, uh, whether it's Michigan State's actual defense or Pat Narduzzi calling that defense at Pitt because uh, they're pretty similar cover four schemes. In, and he did. The, yeah, he made those. I'm sorry, I'm excited, John. He, I know. It he, was, he did. It was, it was one of those things that I was, I was sitting and watching the game. I was like, oh, my God. Like, they're doing it. They're going underneath. They're beating them on comebacks. They're beating them on out routes. They're beating them in the middle of the field. And they beat them up and down the field because of it. They, they had, you know, a, a big lead in the first half and were able to get that big advantage because they attacked underneath. Now, they went back to being going downfield quite a bit in the second half. But, again, that's a lot of that can be attributed. To, it's tougher to be uh, concise with those short area routes uh, when the weather's worse. Uh, if you miss downfield, generally you're going to miss long anyways, and it's not going to be uh, intercepted. If you miss in the middle of the field, you're probably going to hit a defender square in the face. Uh, so it's honestly in those conditions, I would rather throw the ball downfield anyways, unless you're working behind the line of scrimmage, which – you know, they didn't do a ton of, but again, big lead. I'm not worried about it. I think the, the big takeaway here is that they made adjustments to how they handle a defense, and it's not something we had seen really since he started as uh, Penn State's offensive coordinator. Well, well, I will say maybe maybe pump the brakes just slightly. I mean, he, you know, I, he absolutely did make, you know, adjustments. It was a great game plan going into that game. That's exactly how Penn State needed to attack Michigan State. But I will say there was at least one drive in the second half where Penn State just needs to milk the clock. And I remember he goes, pass, pass, pass. The first two downs lasted eight seconds. And that was a bit of a head scratcher. You know, that had the, you know, the whole Penn State fan base and reporters in the press box, like, what the heck are you doing here? 
Yeah, um, I, I, I can sort of see that, though, just because it's one of those things you go for that kill shot. Uh, the lead was big enough. I believe it was the drive you're talking about, they were up 21 at the time. Uh, and and the, if they score on that drive, that ball game's completely over. Uh, and and I, I kind of get it. I, I'm with you. I would have run the ball. I probably honestly would have gone pass, run, pass. Uh, in that situation, still would have passed it twice, especially if you don't get enough yardage on second down in the run. Uh, but, yeah, I – I mean, I understand the complaint, uh, but I, I also see that, you know, there is some rationale behind it. So. What? I said some. Some. Yeah, that's the key here. That's the key here. Uh, but, yeah, you know, this is uh, – it's going to be interesting to see if, if we, you know, what kind of adjustments he makes now moving forward with teams. Uh, we've seen this offense struggle a little bit against Ohio State in the past. Uh, we'll see if they make adjustments in the middle of that game, which is going to be more crucial than any early game adjustments. Um, what do you, you know, what are you expecting this this matchup to to look like now with Ohio State? Do you have any sort of feel for how? I know it's something we bring up like every few weeks, but it's it, it's it really does change quickly. Uh, but it seems to change from the Penn State and not the Ohio State. And it's like, oh yeah, Ohio State's still good, but how does Penn State match up with them now? And and what do you think about what will ultimately be a matchup that decides Penn State's fate this year? Yeah, well, I think if you look at the AP top 25, you know, let's just, you know, go really quick through through the first couple teams. One LSU, two Alabama, three Ohio State, four Clemson, five Penn State. Um, I, I look at those rankings and we all remember James Franklin's speech from last year where he talked about, you know, there's a big difference between being great and elite. He said Penn State is great right now. It's not elite yet. And someone asked him a, a few days ago whether he felt Penn State was at that elite level or if it was close. And he answered around it. He, he wouldn't say that Penn State was elite. And, you know, it, it certainly seemed as if James Franklin still thinks this team is, is great. And honestly, that's what I think, too. I, I think that there's, there's a very clear difference between LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, and, and Penn State. I mean, Ohio State is just killing its opponents. It has the best college football player in the country and Chase Young at defensive end, who's, who's better than, than the Bosa brothers. And then you have an outstanding offense with what might be the best running back in the conference, the best quarterback in the conference, you know, and, and some of the best in the nation. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Penn State absolutely has, you know, impressed me. They've surpassed expectations. They're one of only four teams in the nation to be two ranked teams, but the gulf between Ohio State and Penn State um, is still incredibly wide. And I still think Ohio State, you know, beats Penn State by double digits. But I will say <clears throat> two weeks ago even, <clears throat> I would not have given Penn State a shot at all of, of beating the Buckeyes. And you can sure see the potential for Penn State to pull that upset now. So maybe before I would have said, you know, hey, Penn State's got a 5% chance. Um, you know, now I think, you know, maybe they have a 20 or 25% chance. They're, they're still absolutely underdogs. They are not a better team than the Buckeyes, you know, but hey, Illinois has beaten Wisconsin. Crazier things have happened this season. And if Penn State plays like in the second half, the way they do in the first half, I mean, hey, you know, I, I'm ready to be surprised again. Yeah, I think the the key for Penn State when it comes to that game will be putting a full game together. Uh, I think they're capable of it. We'll see if they can actually do it and they, if they uh, will do it. Uh, it's funny you mentioned sort of that that talent golf, and I sort of feel the same way. Except, I you know Alabama's defensive weaknesses this year sort of dropped them a tier for me too, which 
transitions us into the next subject anyways, uh, which is we are one week from college football playoff rankings. Oh, six days now, actually, since we're recording on Wednesdays. Uh, so next Tuesday, we'll get our first college football playoff rankings. Uh, it's going to be the first chance to see where the committee thinks Penn State stacks up against these teams, which is ultimately what matters. You know, the, the AP pool doesn't really mean anything. It's a lot of fun. I think we all enjoy looking at it throughout the year in the first nine weeks of the year. But once you get the, those college football playoff rankings, then it's real. Then you know yeah. where teams stand. And we've seen in the past, these can be a little weird uh, at first because, you know, we've seen Mississippi State be ranked in the top four with Mississippi when everyone assumed Bama was number one a few years ago uh, because the committee comes up with their rankings from scratch. They're not basing it off of any other pools or anything like Allegedly. that. Uh, I, I tend to buy that. You know, I, I think there there might be some implicit bias, you know, from watching a game and seeing a number next to a team. That, and that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I think they, they do a pretty good job of, of that at least. Uh, I honestly think that, you know, there's there's a chance – and we'll first look at Penn State-Minnesota. Uh, I think there's a chance that Penn State comes into this matchup in the, the initial top four for the, the college football cl- playoff committee. Uh, and I think that has everything to do with Bama playing a weak schedule and sort of showing they have a weaker defense than usual this year. I actually, I actually think Penn State has a better defense than Alabama this year. I don't, it's it's kind of close, but it's also not that close at the same time, uh, especially because of how the teams have played. Alabama has the talent, but they haven't been able to consistently put that Bama defense out there like they, they have in the past. Um, but yeah, it, it's all going to come down to the Penn State offense and, you know, the committee might see the resume at this point of Penn state and be like, well, that blows everything Bama did out of the water. Uh, you know, what do you think about where, where Penn state might land in these, these initial rankings next week? Um, well, you, you said the AP rankings, you know, don't really matter. And you're not wrong. If anything, they just act as a nice sneak peek for the college football playoff rankings, but I don't care at all about next week's college football rankings for Penn state. It's really going to get interesting the week after that. And I say that because, I mean, right now, I, I really think the top five stays the same. There's, there's really no argument, you know, at this point who the top five teams are. You can argue, you know, who belongs at number one or who belongs at number two, but it's going to be one of those five teams. Um, what's going to be interesting, um, again, not next week, but the week after, <clears throat> the second week of the college football rankings, is because Penn State will have played Minnesota and Alabama will have played LSU. So if Penn State beats Minnesota – it's going to be projected to be in the college football. It's going to be in the top four. Um, you're going to have an undefeated Penn State, I'd imagine, over a one-loss, you know, Alabama or a one-loss LSU. So, I mean, I think that's when it's, it's going to get interesting. But, you know, we, we talk about the importance of polls, and, and they absolutely are. But you and I both know, as well as anyone, <clears throat> it doesn't matter a lick what they're ranked in a week or two weeks. It's all going to come down to that Ohio State game. Penn State, Penn State could lose to Minnesota. If they beat Ohio State, I mean, there's a road to the, the, the championship there. There's a road to the college football playoff because they have the Big Ten championship, you know, essentially in the bag at that point. Um, and, and yeah, it's – Well, what do you it, mean? They play Rutgers the week after that. What's that? What do you mean? They play Rutgers after that. How, they, still <laughs> yeah. have, uh, they still have that peewee opponent. Do we need go. more Rutgers jokes? I mean, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they paid, what, they paid a million dollars for Liberty to come in, and Liberty was a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Hey, Congratulations they... on beating the Jerry Falwell school. I mean, you know, for goodness gracious. Like, I, I mean, you know, yeah, Rutgers got to win. They are still one of the worst teams in all of college football. Like, 
we'll get off the Rutgers topic before this podcast goes way too far. My my blood pressure is shooting too high. (laughs) Change the topic. Uh, But no, let's, let's go back to the, you mentioned that Alabama LSU game. And I think that that game has a ton of impact on Penn state in part because Oklahoma lost to Kansas state this last week. There's an Avenue for Penn state where if they lose to Ohio state now, they could make the college football playoff. And it, oh it involves Al- – Yeah, let's, let's – well, come on. Well, no, I, I, I'm I 100% serious on this. If LSU beats Alabama and Alabama either drops to Auburn or even, you know, just doesn't make the SEC title game and you're looking at an 11-1 Alabama with I believe they would have one, maybe two ranked wins on the year or an 11-1 Penn State with a loss – they're, they're comparable losses, a loss to LSU, a loss to Ohio State, pretty much the same loss. Uh, and – a what I would believe I believe it would be either four or five ranked wins at the end of the year the resumes stack up now the eye test will come into play but the resumes stack up heavily in Penn State's favor there and then the committee would have to really heavily weight the eye test to put Alabama into the playoff and we've seen them do it before so I'm not saying that it's a guarantee but Alabama also still has to play Auburn at the end of the year everybody knows the Iron Bowl can go crazy at any point in time uh, we saw the kick six uh, I think that was six years ago now uh, but yeah, yeah. That, that's that, that's quite a few ifs. I'm, you know, my my my, my argument to you, John Sauber, um, and I'm going to keep it really simple. Um, the Big Ten sucks, and it's not getting two teams in the playoff. That's uh, my that's my hot take. I I wouldn't I wouldn't count it out. Is what I'll say. It's not impossible. It's just I, highly unlikely. I, I I think I honestly think if LSU wins and Penn State can go eleven and one, uh, no matter who the loss is to, I guess really. Yes, if Alabama loses twice. No, if, know, I'm saying if the, I'm games. saying if if they lose once to to LSU, I think there's a real route, and it'll be one of those decisions that puts it in the committee's hands of who you picking between these two eleven and one teams. Neither makes a conference title game. Uh, both have a loss to one of the top two teams in the country, and then you know. Uh, then anything can happen at that point. Either way, I also think that's going to spur more discussion and rightful discussion about expanding the playoff. Um, but yeah, I think there's, I, I, I'm, if I were a Penn State fan, I would be more optimistic than you are uh, about this. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a very, very real chance they get in, even with the loss to Ohio State. Now, if Alabama wins next weekend, it's all moot because LSU has the most impressive schedule in the country. And if they lose one game, hell, LSU could probably lose two games and still make it. Uh, the resume is ridiculous at this point, and it's only going to get better as the year comes to a close. Yeah, I, I will say, as far as optimism and, and uh, you know, Penn State fans, and we talked about this before the, the podcast started, but if Penn State would beat Minnesota, the most likely floor for them would be the Rose Bowl which is an incredible floor. The only way Penn State would not make it to the Rose Bowl at that point after beating Minnesota, I mean, yeah, sure, they could lose to Rutgers. Like, I mean, but let's deal with the stuff that's actually might happen. And not, or Indiana, I guess. Know, something like that. Yeah, I mean, Indiana, you know, is receiving votes. They've, you know, they're a pretty decent team. But, um, you know, Penn State, you know, right now has, outside of Ohio State, they have a two-game lead over everyone else in the Big Ten East. Um and the only Big Ten West team that has fewer than two conference losses is Minnesota. So if Penn State gets past Minnesota, the most likely way for them to not make the Rose Bowl at that point would be if the Big Ten West, uh, if the Big Ten West wins the Big Ten Championship, um, you know, then they they get the automatic berth. But anyone who plays Ohio State is going to be a double-digit underdog, and you know, if Penn State makes it that far. Um, it's looking pretty good. So, 
Yeah, I mean, at this point, it sure looks, and, and I think just about everyone has Penn State projected in the Rose Bowl at this point. But when your floor is the Rose Bowl and it's not even November yet, I mean, that's a damn good season. I mean, I, a lot of us thought that Penn State had potential. They had a championship-caliber defense. But there were so many question marks around this offense. And I know we keep coming back to it, but I just need to verbalize it a little bit, John Sauber, because, you know, I'm still surprised. You know, this, this kind of reminds me of 2016 in that regard a little bit. Um, you know, in 2016, what, they were 2-2, two and two, and they just came storming back. Here, you know, it's preseason, and, you know, we're debating, you know, whether Sean Clifford is, is one of the top – belongs in the top third of, of quarterbacks in the country. I mean – you know, the, the, it's just been interesting, you know, how, um, you know, this is kind of all pieced together. So, so yeah, I mean, no matter what, you got to – this is exactly where Penn State wanted to be at this point at the beginning of the season. And, I mean, they're on an incredible pace right now. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. We were talking about predicting oh, – is it eight wins or is it nine wins? And I said at the beginning of the year I gave them nine because I couldn't pin down a fourth loss. Uh, and now I look like a moron. Because it is, it is impossible to get to a fourth loss at this point. They could lose the next three, and they're still not losing the Rutgers. It does not matter. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it says a lot about the progression of Sean Clifford. It says a lot about where the defense is at. Uh, and it says a lot about, you know, Ricky Ronnie and James Franklin, too. And the season is sort of hinged on those two in a big way, especially Ricky Ronnie. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's been good uh, to this point. I think, you know, it, it's a good time to evaluate some of these things with it being you know, a, a bye week and we're, we're two thirds of the regular season, uh, two thirds of the way through the regular season, excuse me. And, you know, a guy that has drawn a lot of criticism as being, Oh, he's definitely going to get fired once the year's over at the beginning of the year to now it's, Oh, okay. Like Penn state fans probably want this guy to stick around for a little bit. Uh, he's been, he's been impressive. And if he keeps improving, he's only, you know, the, the sky is the limit uh, with the way we've seen him improve so far this season. And, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, especially considering I was, I was very quick to criticize at the beginning of the season. Hey, let's, let's spread the love a little bit here too. I mean, uh, special teams have been, yep. you know, I, it's been an upgrade across the board. You know, Joe Lorig has come in and completely fixed Phil Galliano, the, the, the mess that Phil Galliano left. I mean, uh, you go across the board and this has gone from, you know, a special teams that, that might've, you know, cost Penn state a game or two to, you know, one that's 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 won them games. I mean, this is a, a special teams unit. Uh, when you look at it, I, I I haven't seen Bill Connolly's updated rankings, um, but he had them. I am on as, the case. <laughs> he had them ranked among the the, the you know the, the the top units in the nation, and like literally across the board. I mean, you know, whether it's returns or field goals or punts. I mean, Penn State is better everywhere there. You know, that's been. Uh, the way they controlled field position against Michigan State, I mean, Blake Gillikin was the Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. And, I mean, it was that obvious. I wrote about it Saturday. I'm like, he's going to be the Special Teams Player of the Week. I mean, this is, you know, you have eight punts, five are inside the 20. You know, not just touchbacks, inside the 20. I mean, you know, he's been on fire. You have Jordan Stout, who's the longest field goal kicker in Penn State history now. I mean, it's just... Uh, you know, K.J. Hamler, um, he, he has the potential to be an All-American returner. I mean, it really is. I mean, this is the best Penn State special teams I, I can remember. I mean, this is, I mean, you, maybe you'd have to go back to, you know, Derek Williams and, and that time period. I mean, hey, you know, maybe I'm forgetting something obvious here, John. But, I mean, the, the main point is that, that special teams 
you know, have been really impressive. And I think Joe Lurie deserves a whole lot of credit too. Yeah, uh, Penn State currently uh, number 20 in special teams ranking, which is a far cry from last year. I don't know where they were last year, but I can tell you it wasn't 20th. Maybe 120th. Uh, yeah, there's a decent shot that it could have been 220th with a couple of FCS schools and D2 schools ahead of them with with how putrid they were uh, for long stretches last year too. And that, and that's that's not just, you know, executing their own special teams. That's allowing other teams' special teams to dominate them. Uh, but you're right. This is a huge step for this team. Uh, it gives them another avenue to success, and I think that matters a lot when you're a top-level team. Uh, you need to be able to contribute uh, not just offense and defense. When you can get something out of your special teams, it lessens the load on the, the offense and defense. You know, an, an offense that Connolly has as 15th in the country in SP+, and a defense that he has as number seven. I mean, so that, that special teams is only going to make those two even better uh, because, you know, you look at a school like – you know, Alabama, which is 77 in the country, it's actually making the team worse, the fact that they have to play special teams. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how far those special teams can carry the team going into the end of the year. Uh, I would like to see a little bit more, um, I guess, a little bit more creativity from the special teams. We, we sort of got a glimpse of what it could be against Michigan. And the, we did. We did. Yeah. That was uh, an interesting call uh, when K.J. Hamler laid down in the end zone. That, that, that was interesting. Yep, and I, I would like to see more things like that because – it's an it's a uh, you know an aspect of the game that you can take advantage of. You can really turn momentum of a game. You can really turn a crowd with a big special teams play. Uh, you know, a few years ago, and this is a game that I'm sure Penn State fans will love to have brought up when Penn State was playing in Columbus and they you know blew the massive lead they had. The reason they were able to jump on Ohio State so quickly was because Saquon Barkley returned that opening kick. You know, I, I mean, it 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 blew it, it basically quieted the the uh, you know Ohio State portion of of uh, the shoe which is you know most of the stadium uh but it it helped Penn State carry a little bit more a little bit of momentum to the offense and the defense of course they couldn't sustain it then but you know maybe this year they have the offense and defense to sustain that a little bit and I, I personally would like to see them do more to try to make things happen on special teams yeah I mean you know you certainly can't argue with that it's uh you know I don't know John it's uh, uh with with the way things have been going for Penn State lately um you know, if I'm an opponent, I, I certainly wouldn't want to play them special teams or not. Uh, you know, um, this is this has got to be the one team left. I, I know Ohio State plays Michigan, but I mean, this is the, the toughest team left for Ohio State. It's it's pretty much everybody's toughest team left, which, you know, which is saying something. So, uh, yeah, I, I just need to go back for a second. You know, this is kind of a non sequitur, but, you know, it's incredible to me. Penn State, this is, they're 8-0 for the first time since 2008, um, you know, pre-sanctions. You know, you talk about, I think there's a documentary premiering um, in the coming weeks about the 2012 team and how it held Penn State together. And, you know, you talk about, you know, moving on to the sanctions. I think, I, I, I think this kind of, you know, sums it up and says it. You know, when you win the Big Ten Championship in 2016 and two years later, you or three years later, you start undefeated like this. Um, you know, that's, that's a hell of an accomplishment, especially considering Minnesota is also eight, you know, um, for Penn state, it's been 11 years for Minnesota. They were last eight. No. in. do you know, I do a not quiz here, John 1941. Whew. So, uh, that's right around I, when Josh was born for the audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not very good at math, John stick, stick to writing, doing my uh, best, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, PJ Fleck gave an impassioned plea to have college game day visit and, yeah, it's, it's not going to happen. Uh, no, no. But it was a, it, it, 
it almost convinced me. It was, yeah, it, no, it was I was, was I was all play. in by the end of it. I was, you know, I, I think I might've yelled sky, uh, what is a sky you ma by the end. I was screaming it <laughs> running through is it walls. Ski you ma or sky. I, I think it's sky. I'm not sure. I also don't, I, I also know I won't have to care in 11 days. So I'm not going to spend <laughs> too much time on it. That's fair. I'll, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to investigate this and, and get back to you. All right. We'll have a full length report next week on the podcast about sky you ski you ma, whichever it may be. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Of course. I, I don't want Josh to have to talk for 45 minutes to an hour by himself. Uh, I, I wouldn't do that to the listeners. I don't like we'll get it Dilly Dan as a guest. It'll be fun. <laughs> All right. Now we've gone off the rails. This has gone this exact direction. Hey, you we say off the to. rails. I say a podcast about Minnesota is not complete until you talk about Dilly Dan. So that's fair. That's fair. Uh, oh man, I could go for, all right. You know, we're going to cut this short before I start aching for ice cream and you're going to start causing me issues too. Uh, is there anything else you think we need to touch on with this Penn state team moving forward? Uh, obviously we'll have an, uh, an episode next week. It's, it's a little bit of a tough time to record right now because Penn state doesn't play this weekend. Their resume is complete for the first playoff rankings. So there's a, a lot's going to change in the next week, even though Penn state's not going to take the field. Yeah. I would just say, you know, the thing to keep in mind is injuries and, uh, you know, by that, I mean, of course, we saw running back Noah Kane. It looked like he had to be carried off the field um, at the end of Michigan State. Um, and then you have cornerback John Reed, fifth-year senior, uh, you know, leader. Their, I would say their best cornerback. Um, you know, he was injured and did not come back. As with uh, Trent Gordon, the number three cornerback. Um, James Franklin reiterated Tuesday night that he's still optimistic that, you know, those will all be short-term injuries. But James Franklin does not – often talk about injuries and when he does talk about them you really have to take them at face value I mean hopefully Kane will be able to go but it looked pretty serious to me um and it's a shame too because it really looked like he was about to take on a a larger role in that game against Michigan State getting his first career start and then starting you know back-to-back series so I think uh, I, I to me the biggest injury and the thing that we've got to watch over the next week and a half is is Noah Kane okay? I mean, you know, they've got a, a lot of depth at, at cornerback. We've seen a lot of true freshman Marquis Wilson and Keaton Ellis. They held their own against Michigan State. Um, I think they'll – I mean, there are some very good receivers um, on Minnesota, but, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's Noah Kane. Is he going to be okay? Is he going to be able to, you know, play smash-mouth football inside? Or, you know, are we going to see Journey Brown have to pick up a fourth and one again? Um, so I think that's something key – that we'll be paying attention and certainly we'll have more information on that um, for the next podcast. Yep. I'm with you. I think that'll be, that'll be fairly important for us next week. And I'm sure we'll have quite a bit more information by then as well. Uh, So that'll do it for this week's episode of airing it out. You can find us as always on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google play, Stitcher, and tune in. Uh, If you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the center daily times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center C E N T R E. And of course, follow us on Twitter at, at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.